Welcome to Change of Plans. I'm Andres Zuleta. On Change of Plans, we feature stories of resilience and reinvention, interviewing entrepreneurs and other creative individuals who have found fun and inspiring ways to adapt to sudden, unexpected challenges. My guest today is Jill Van Jean, a peanut butter maven and founder of the Canadian peanut butter brand Fatso. Like many business owners, Jill experienced a trade show disaster because of the coronavirus but she was able to think outside the box to make the best of the situation and find a way to give back to her community in the process. Jill, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So obviously the last few weeks have been crazy for so many people all over the world. And I know that for you, one of the first kind of moments of truth, you know, in dealing with all of the coronavirus craziness was a trade show. Can you take us back to what happened? Yeah, so um, we had actually been planning to go to a trade show that's called Expo West. It happens every year. It's the biggest natural food trade show in the world. And it takes place in Anaheim at the convention center down there. And I had walked the show the year previous. And it is an absolutely incredible event. And it was bigger than I really could wrap my head around. Uh, it's it's absolutely one of the most critical events of the year. My goal really was to launch in the U.S. at this trade show. So we spent about 14 months planning logistics, funding, and right, I mean, we had started to hear about coronavirus uh, probably around January. It started to become concerning mid-February. And I kept on thinking, they're going to cancel this. And we just heard nothing uh, about any plans for cancellation. And I, I have a, at that time, my son was six months old and we had planned to travel with myself and with my husband, my chief growth officer, Steve Biggs. And it started to get kind of scary in the airports at that point. And we were all really on edge. Uh, flights started to cascade cancel which should have been um, sort of an ominous warning for us. And uh, when we landed in Los Angeles, because we actually got rerouted from Anaheim to Los Angeles and had to switch a car rental, it was a whole thing. Uh, We turned our phones on and Whole Foods had pulled out of the show. Now, everybody's reason for going is so you can get in front of Whole Foods. So that was the first really concerning news that we got. And then the CEO of Kind Bar did a post on LinkedIn uh, stating that for the health and safety of the employees that they would be pulling out their huge sponsor of the event and, uh, and then called on show organizers to cancel. This set off a, an absolute digital soapbox for any founder and CEO that could pull out at that point. So you know, people that had been at the show that were, you know, had a large presence there. It wasn't the be all end all for them. They started pulling out. But as small brands, I mean, we kind of have to plug away because we can't just pull out. We're down on the on the on the ground. There was no confirmed cases. We were following um, the the news really carefully. So we were watching this thread just absolutely cascade um, with people saying, you know, we're pulling out for the health and safety of our employees. That's what we care about the most and. So we're sitting here going, 
well, we've been planning for 14 months for this and we're, you know, $20,000 deep. We're on the ground. There's no sign of cancellation and we can't get a hold of anybody. So we kind of have to go through the motion. So um, finally, we found our crate, uh, got onto the show floor, and that's when the Google Doc started searching. <laughs> so the Google Doc was this um, document of that was updating in real time of retailers, distributors, brokers, and brands that were pulling out. So it was an absolute nerve wracking time. Um, we headed back, went to the show office. We sort of pled our case and said, listen, like we really need to know here's the situation, what's going on. They said, nope, the show's going on. Go set up your booth, which takes us three hours to do. Um, you know, I, I, I sympathize with them because they had to make a very, very uh, critical decision in a very, very short period of time without a lot of room to maneuver, without the ability to put policies in place, without the ability to really um, put out a thoughtful response. It had to happen in real time. And they were simply following the guidelines of the Anaheim Health Authority. And that's what they were going off of. So, you know, in some ways, I, I get it. But I, I will say when that email came through, I mean, we, we were already there. We knew it was going to get canceled. It was just a matter of time and we were going through the motions. You really have to snap into that decision-making process and the reaction process of, can I control this? And if I can't, how do we recover from this? So, you know, we spent a day down in Venice Beach, which we love, and walked the streets and everything was still really normal. And we, you know, booked an emergency flight out and got back to Canada as soon as possible. So, um, so yeah, we were out quite a significant amount of money and, you know, the money was one thing. We got a wonderful grant from the Canadian government to cover some of those costs. So, um, and they, they're going to honor that, which is fantastic, but you know, it was a lost opportunity. It was, this was the, this was it. This was the pinnacle. This is the cliff you're about to jump off of. And then it was just, you know, this sort of, um, big echoing silence of what now? Obviously. There was disappointment and mm -hmm. frustration, but yeah. how did you take that moment and find a way to recoup, you know, the lost opportunity? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's funny because we we allowed ourselves one day. We got home, and we let the new reality set in. Um, and then the I think it was the Friday. Um, Steve and I met back at our co-working space, and we got a boardroom. And we got uh, a couple Sharpies and a uh, big pad of paper, uh, one of those big flip pads of paper, and we just brainstormed. And we thought, how do we do this? How do we recoup the loss? How do we recoup this lost opportunity? So we made a list, I think, of about 30 to 40 people. And these are all people that we had in our Rolodex that it would have been inappropriate to ask for help, suggestion, or guidance in any other time really i mean some of these people of course would have been responsive we may not have needed it at that point but you know some of these people you know i wouldn't just reach out to at random but we had this very compelling uh situation we were a small emerging brand um a strong brand but emerging and we had lost this massive opportunity and in those times you have to be innovative so we thought how do we do this and we we sent out these emails uh, to all sorts of people, CEO of other brands, um, old contacts from Steve, just right across the board um, of people that we, we needed to reach out to. And we got some really fantastic responses and guidance through that. 
and uh, we've just launched with a broker in the U.S. We're going to be extending our distribution, and we're looking to be launching into California this summer. So, what was in that email that you sent out to everyone? Well, it explained our situation, and it explained um, that you know we had expected to have a lot of opportunity here, and that we were digging deep as a company to reach out to anybody that might be able to provide us with introductions, that might be able to provide us with critical information around uh, the marketplace. You know, we reached out to some contacts in Whole Foods out here in uh, British Columbia. Those got the ball rolling with some contacts down in the United States. You know, we, I actually reached out to uh, somebody who I admire greatly, uh, Justin Gold, uh, who is the founder of Justin's Peanut Butter. And he's always kind of, I met him at the trade show when I walked the show and, you know, that he's always kind of had our back and, you know, so it was people like that. And it was, it was, we were upfront about it. This is a cry for help. And I think when companies have the ability to say like, we're wounded, what do you have for us? <laughs> and say, we're, we're, we're really grasping at straws here. And uh, so the ability to be vulnerable in that moment uh, really pays off in the long run, I think. So with a little bit of distance, you know, you sound so positive and it's, it's a great moment that mm. you were able to think outside the box and be vulnerable and ask for help. But how did it feel, you know, in that moment? It was, um, it was really scary because I think you build up a reality in your mind. I mean, as a CEO, as a founder, as somebody who runs a company, we have, we're ambitious for our brand. We're ambitious for our employees. And we had been running on some very strong steam. And the rug was pulled out from underneath us. And it's this feeling in the pit of your stomach that, I don't know, I, I've always kind of had this feeling when something really, really good is about to happen. Like it was just, it was kind of like being pregnant. Like throughout my entire pregnancy, I just couldn't grasp the idea of actually having a baby. It was, it felt too good to be true. Uh, and you know, I had so much fear around that. Um, and I've had that. I, my, my life has taken some very, um, uh, some interesting twists and turns and, you know, it wasn't well into my thirties that, you know, these, these amazing things started to come my way. So it's always, I, I had this feeling of it's going to be so exciting and it's going to be so good. And this is the thing that's going to launch us into this next level that I, I literally couldn't picture what, how that was going to look, but I knew it was going to happen. And then it didn't. And it, it was this really, it shakes your reality up a little bit. I think, you know, I have been, you know, at a number of rock bottoms in my life. And you know, I know from my history that I just have to dig it really deep and get myself out and you know, get back on top and look to the future because we could sit in that. And like, I'm sure that there were some companies that did that. And I'm sure there's some companies that invested everything they actually had and are not coming back from it. So we were grateful for where we were. We were grateful to come back to Canada, you know, gather up the troops and then head out again. And you know, I really think that this, you know, we've had some perspective um, away from it. We've seen, you know, the, the crazy highs and lows that have come with the COVID crisis. And I think now, you know, we want to forge ahead and we want to start seizing some of the opportunities 
that are going to be opening up relatively soon. So, you know, moving forward, um, you know, I'm not as confident as I would be. It's definitely a gamble, but I have gambled before and I have won. And that is a high that I am willing to chase for sure. You know, it's amazing that there have been positives that have come out of all of this. And um, I know you mentioned, for example, um, the broker that you're working with. And I know also that you have shifted a bit to community response as well. What would you say are the biggest kind of unexpected positives that have come out of this whole crisis? Yeah, I, there is a period of time right when this started, right when we all went into lockdown. Um, and when this started to happen, one of the biggest things that I knew, I mean, right here at the farm that I live on, I have this tiny little uh, garage warehouse where I keep a ton of stock of fat dough. So we keep shipping out from here and all sorts. And immediately we saw um, food banks and other outreach programs just absolutely crippled by it because the human resources have been, were, were absolutely cut in half. And then the ability for the food banks, because people were panic buying uh, so much of the food stuff that would normally make it into food banks and people were so protectionary around their, um, their resources, food banks went dry. And it was a natural connection to me. It's like, I have so much peanut butter and there are people who need this. And it helped me in a way, not only to get over our own losses of this, which are minimal compared to the many people who lost their jobs and don't have a stable income and uh, may not have, um, might be experiencing homelessness. So it was a very natural way for me to not only get myself out of my own head, but also to be that company and to be that person that says, we need to put our profits aside. We need to put our own work aside and we need to go and figure out how we can start filling this gap in food security. And uh, I jumped into it really fast and we started sending out um, peanut butter to, you know, we had um, some going out in Vancouver, all over the city in Victoria here, really focusing on undervalued, underfunded and underserved community organizations. Uh, so um, we work uh, quite a bit with a local sex worker advocacy group here, and they do a ton of outreach, and they're often missed just because of the nature of their advocacy. Is uh, there's a lot of stigma around that. So we work with them. St. Vincent de Paul, their food bank was dry. Uh, we got a call out from a couple of the First Nations communities that were struggling, and managed to get some food out there as well. We raised money. People sent just started sending me money, and we were able to connect with our distributor. Uh, and make a large purchase of food that was discounted so that we could get more for our money. And we delivered that to St. Vincent de Paul as well. We started a donated jar program on the website. So if people wanted to pitch in from afar, they can uh, buy a jar for $5 and that goes directly to communities here in Victoria and Vancouver. So there was this five week period where we just shifted into being this ad hoc nonprofit. And uh, we started a um, we called it the Safety Sandwich Program. We um, hooked up with uh, Salt Spring Island Kitchen, who makes jams, and Portofino Bakery, which makes bread. Uh, they donated uh, those foodstuffs to us and myself and my husband and my sister, who is here from Toronto. Uh, we got to making 300 sandwiches a week, and we're doing that for about five weeks. Uh, we had one week where we had a friend help us because that is backbreaking work if you've never done it before it is actually not as easy as it sounds but it gave us some an opportunity to give space 
to what was happening and the severity of what was happening and say, okay, mm. let's not be so concerned about our company. We're a peanut butter company. We are going to survive. How do we be of service to our community? And being able to fill that gap got me right back on track when I did need to go back to work. Uh, I came back refreshed, energized, feeling like we had contributed and that we had been able to be there for our community in a time of need. And that to me is such an important part of running an ethical business is the people who support you on a regular basis are the people in your community. They're responsible for your success. So in their time of need, you need to step up to the plate. As I'm sure you know, because this has been such a tough time, you know, mm -hmm. there are a lot of entrepreneurs, small businesses who are really struggling and maybe not finding ways to pivot in the way that you have. So what advice would you give to people who are feeling, mm -hmm. you know, just less positive and more stuck? Yeah, I'll give one piece of practical advice. If you have a physical product, is you've got to move it online. And I, I think that's probably advice people have heard, but this is going to be the new reality. We had our strongest months on record in March. Um, what we've seen dip off is uh, physical orders, like to distributors and retailers in April and May, but we have not seen e-commerce level off. It's still going very strong. And I think people are going to shift into this, a split. Like we're always going to want to go to a grocery store or to a physical um, storefront and, you know, shop for clothes or shop for food or whatever it is. However, this is part of the new normal and it has kicked it into high gear and it has sped up time in a way that, um, you know, nobody was able to foresee. But e-commerce is here to stay. We've always known that. I don't think it was at the level. It wouldn't have been at the level it is now or will be had this not happened, obviously. Um, and then the other piece of advice I have, if, if maybe that's not something that is possible for you and uh, you're really wondering what to do as an entrepreneur right now, this is the time to innovate. This is the time to be creative. This is the time to throw out old plans and start with a fresh page. This is a time to look at our new reality and say, how do I fill the gap? Because I think it's moving too fast. There are gaps everywhere. And slowing down and saying, how do I adapt to this new economy? How do I adapt to this new reality? How do I become innovative within this uh, new marketplace? This is the time to do it. Uh, and you know, I've talked about this before on other forums. Um, but as I said before, I've, I've had two rock bottoms in my life. And there is a point down at a rock bottom where you're just crazy enough to do anything. And I was at one of those points when I founded Fasto. And sometimes you need to have a total collapse of a system and a total collapse of a business or a total collapse of society in order to say, okay, something was broken here. How do I innovate and get out of it? And you need to be open enough to do that. And sometimes it takes some real pain to do that. And so I would say to entrepreneurs that are in that really horrible space is like embrace that pain, understand where it comes from and figure out a way so you don't have to go back there. Well, thank you so much. Um, what is the best way for our listeners around the world to support you and 
Fatso? Ah, well, you can go to our website. It's uh, eatfatso.com. We're on Instagram, at eatfatso. But uh, donate a jar. It'll go straight to a food bank. Uh, they're five bucks, and that covers our cost plus delivery. We've donated over $47,000 worth of product in addition to the other initiatives that I mentioned. So, um, and we're always looking for new ways to do that. And uh, yeah, so if people want to help out, they can do it that way. And uh, yeah, they can check us out online or uh, on social media. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Andres. It was really good to talk to you. Check the show notes to learn more about Jill and her awesome company, Fatso, including a fun tidbit that we didn't have a chance to discuss today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. To get our newest episodes every Tuesday and Friday, make sure to hit subscribe. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in.